Wait, 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 hold up. We've done this before. Let's try something new. One, two, one, two, three, four. Hello and welcome back to your favorite podcast, Rage Against the Mainstream, your full spectrum source for all things music, insight, and opinion. Today's date, the date that this podcast comes out, may or may not be the date that you're listening to it, is September 28th, 2020. I'm Bill, and I'm joined here today with Connor and Steve. Yo. Yo. I feel like we kind of start this thing off like the same way, like every week. Pretty much. I think my yo's, you could probably make a compilation and figure <laughs> yeah. out that they're like almost identical. Yo, that, it's yo, like a pre-recorded yo. 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 <laughs> so, I guess let's, uh, I'm not going to ask how you guys have been this week. We're going to switch it up. Do you find anything new or interesting? Oh, shit. Well, I'm doing fine this week. <laughs> because, ironically, uh, a few weeks ago... I was in the car. I was thinking I realized that Carcass put all their stuff back on Apple Music, like Necroticism and Heartwork. All that shit wasn't there. They it wasn't on Apple new- Music? For a long time, they took everything off except Surgical Steel, which was their latest album that was released in like 2013, I want to say. It was on, it, was it on Spotify? It got taken off Spotify too for a while. There oh, was, shit. Like it was on there like a year or so ago, and then it got taken away. And one day, you know, I just go to like search carcass because I wanted to actually see if, cause I knew they were dropping something new and on Apple music. That's the first thing that pops up when you click on artists, <laughs> lo and behold, they put all their fucking shit back on there and they had a new song. Yeah. I was like, this is fucking weird. Cause I was literally just talking about, I like, can't wait for this new carcass. Can't wait for this new carcass. So the song came out, um, a few weeks ago. It's called one second. Well, the EP is called Despicable. I, I realize that it's not even the full album. It's called Despicable. It comes out October 30th. Uh, it's a short EP, but the song is called The Living Dead at the Manchester Morgue. So I looked it up. I was like, where the fuck did they come up with this title? And little did I know that it was named after an Italian horror film that got like extremely good ratings that I've never even heard of. <laughs> the movie itself is called Let Sleeping Corpses Die. There's actually lyrics in the song that say that. Yeah. But the movie was also known, The Living Dead at the Manchester Morgan. It was also called Don't Open uh, the Window. So Carcass, Michael Lamont's not in Carcass currently. They reformed with you know different members. Yeah. Um, but... The song, man, like, I'm just really into gore metal. I'm into, like, Exhumed. I'm into, like, Acid Witch. I'm into, like, um, Impaled and Ghoul. Like, all those really gory, like, death metal bands that just have a particular sound. But New Carcass, man, I mean, just classic death metal band. Song is fucking excellent. I really think more bands of that genre need to kind of continue to inject, like, a real traditional death metal sound into our world. Oh, yeah. It's definitely fun. I think Carcass is a band I think you could get into. Connor would dig fucking Heartwork. Yeah, I think you'd really like Heartwork. The musicianship on Heartwork, dude. The guitar playing is just fucking insane, Yeah, Michael Amant then, man, he was... That was before Arch Enemy, and he was fucking... Christopher Amant was in Carcass too, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I I, Honestly, I think if you gave Heartwork a shot, I think you'd like it. It's it's not like you're... It's not that I don't give metal band shots. It's that metal's not my main interest in music. Yeah, no. Yeah. Like, 
Yeah, maybe not. When was the last time you gave an Elliott Smith album a shot? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's not that I hate it. It's just not my main cup of tea. Yeah. No, I, Responsibility. I, I can get that. Like, I have metal albums. It's going to peel yeah. the onion. Got big back into Celtic Frost. It's only a matter of time. I bought that to resell it for the most part. <laughs> you know what I mean? You take like, more retails, dude. That's that shit. It's a good album. Like, it's a matter of time, but... dude. The walls will be breaking down. <laughs> Next is Scream Bloody Gore. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you own a death album, don't you? Yeah, two death CDs. Then you get Spiritual Healing? No, I have Leprosy and The Greatest Hits. Okay, yeah. So, uh, you got anything new or interesting for this week? Yeah, I was been listening to uh, Swans Leaving Meaning, their new release. Uh, they were they kind of came up with Sonic Youth in New York and like the noise scene, and they've evolved in their own way as well. That's what you were just playing, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I like the Hanging Man off it. I like uh, it's coming. It's real. Yeah. Nice. Since how about uh, you, Steve? Do you have? Oh no, you recommend? <laughs> yeah, I didn't so, do anything yet. <laughs> oh shit, Bill. Guy, Bill. Based off our how topic, was your week, Bill? <laughs> <laughs> My week's been great. <laughs> um, no, but based off our topic from last week, which was you know, um, bands have bad or horrible fan bases or whatever. I kind of dove back into the Insane Clown Posse discography and. I'm not going to lie. I've slowly been getting into it. I mean, I'm not going to get a fucking hatchet man tattoo on my arm by any means. Not yet. Not Build yet. The onion. <laughs> <laughs> Soon the walls I, will break down. I'm going to put the fucking hatchet man right underneath the, my Metallica tattoo. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no, but honestly, it's, it's like I said before, like, you know, um, I get, guess you should get a uh, Tom to turn it into a Honda tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> you probably could actually probably yeah you could probably <laughs> manipulate that thing it's kind of a rough start there it's almost like a foundation for something else he's like alright so we're just gonna make it black and then go from there yeah feel free to email us to see Bill's tattoo yeah exactly you can get us at retmpodcast at gmail.com <laughs> nah but um I guess anyone that's interested in getting into Insane Clown Posse or you know, you would like a place to start. I mean, if you go on their Spotify, they have like their top played songs, but there's a little hidden gem that I've always remembered from my childhood called fuck the world. Mm-hmm. My cousin showed me this and I was like really young and I was like, man, this is like a funny song. Then like being an adult, like I listened to it again. I was like, whoa, they stole that song title from Tupac. <laughs> they try to say that I don't care. Uh, it's like it's just I don't know it's a it's a goofy ass song, and you know it's that they're just like I don't know what I, year what year is that from? Uh, guesstimate. It's got it's from the nineties like, definitely late nineties like ninety eight ninety nine. Let's see, fuck the world came out in nineteen ninety nine. But as like I said before, they're not a, a a you know a rap group to be taking super super seriously. But if you're looking to like get some fucking cheap laughs and shit, like how you would like early Eminem, it's kind of the music to fuck around with. Yeah, that's probably why Eminem hated them so much was because they like were his competition. And- well, I think I mean correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure there was like Eminem's like release party or something. Like he said, Insane Clown Posse was going to be there, and they fucking dissed him mm. because like obviously at that point in time they were bigger than he was. And then he was just like, 
oh, fuck me, huh? No, 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 no. Fuck you. And then he made Marshall Mathers. <laughs> well, his digs at them were homophobic. At the point in time, it wasn't looked down. It wasn't frowned upon like it would be now. I, that's true, but that doesn't make it right. <laughs> Has Eminem come out against these early lyrics? No, but I think him performing with Elton John at the VMAs was, you know, enough to show that he wasn't homophobic. Or, yeah, that's that's the line on Wikipedia. I mean, I think he's done more than enough to prove that he's not homophobic or, you know, um, discriminative against that particular group of radicalists. I mean, radicalists? I'm a simplistic man when it comes to my music. I really just, I, I don't know, man. I just hate getting involved in like people's personal views and stuff because it's just really hard for me to subject myself to say like, oh, if I listen to this band, I'm supporting the individual for what they believe as opposed to just enjoying the music. Yeah. That's the hardest part. Because regardless, even if, like that's what I'm saying, even like we go back to this with like Michael Jackson, David Bowie, everybody we talk about on the show, like even if Eminem came straight out and said like, I'm a straight homophobe, I'm not going to fucking just stop listening to Eminem songs if they come on. Like my, my brain just can't do that. Can't yeah. do it. You know what I mean? Like, but I won't go out and buy concert tickets. Does it not I won't bother, go out and support. Yeah, does it not bother you like where he's dropping like the F word towards gay people constantly? Like No, like this is the thing. Songs? Like again, it's like about a personal belief. Like there's what like for some reason me and music, like I have my views, they have their views, and I can respect the differences, but it I don't have to agree with it. But at the same time, when it comes to music, especially if somebody with such credit, it's hard for me to totally negate the fact that my whole childhood, like I loved Eminem. Growing up, I loved Eminem. And then if something happens where it comes out, like the whole thing we talked about, Michael Graves and well, um, everybody thing, else. We like, listened to Eminem predominantly. It was when we were children. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. But that's even like, why it doesn't seem bad was because we were exposed to it when we were children. Of course. But, yeah, but I guess Eminem, if you were exposed Eminem to it a, now. a fucking adult when he did that. You know what I mean? Of course. Yeah. Like, but I'm know. saying, like, I'm, I'm just saying for like he uh, was he was younger than us though, right? I'm just I saying, like, he think was about born in seventy one or so or seventy. Yeah, maybe? so he was like twenty five. So yeah, well, he, yeah, he was like twenty when Slim, real Slim Shady or whatever came out and shit. My name is like, so he was young, but yeah, I mean you're. Grown man, we've all done things and said things that we, yeah. I just have a tough time totally shutting down an artist based on their personal views, like to say that I don't like their music, but not on a national, global level. (laughs) Base our whole fucking subject matter and on our career that sold like hundreds of hundred million records, you know what I mean? On it, yeah. And if you would like to hear our discussion of this particular topic, you can roll back your rolling decks here to season one. Before Speak. the new mics. <laughs> Before Sorry the new about mics. the sound quality. We'll apologize ahead of So, speaking of season one, that took place in history. Let's do On This Day in Music History. 19th. No. <laughs> on This Day in Music History. On this day, September 28th, 1963, Jim Morrison is arrested while attending Florida State University. Um, after stealing a cop's hat, and, uh, <laughs> wait a minute. He stole an umbrella? Yeah. Is that what it says? Yeah, umbrella. <laughs> All right, so he stole a cop's hat and umbrella. He's charged with, uh, petty larceny, resisting arrest, public drunkenness, and disturbing the peace. 
Um, Seems like the yeah. I remember reading that. Sheet. Like obviously, knowing that I didn't realize an umbrella was involved. I just think that's so fucking funny. Like <laughs> what, the cop was just standing there with an umbrella. Like they even think cops in the rain mm-hmm. today. You don't see them with like fucking umbrellas. They just eat they that just shit in their, their gear. Yeah, or if they're standing <laughs> outside, they're not, not using an umbrella. Well, I'm not getting out of the car. It's raining. <laughs> I don't know yeah. this officer in particular, but kind of deserved it. You can't be out there with an umbrella, dude. Uh, like what were you gonna do? Like chase someone down the street, like <laughs> holding the umbrella? Like what were you doing with that? Just be out there. But yeah, that's I, funny. Petty Larceny. 1968, The Beatles' Hey Jude, Back with Revolution, hits number one in America, holds the spot for nine weeks, the longest of any Beatles single. That's a bit... I guess not Hey Jude, that makes sense. That was like the monster of the monsters. Oh, yeah. I like Revolution. Revolution's probably actually my favorite Beatles song. I hate the lyrics, but the music sounds That's cool. what I was saying. I think the music itself. Oh, yeah. Huh. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hey Jude, I always liked. Yeah. I like Hey Dude from Metallica. Metallica? Metallica. You've never heard that, have you? No, I have not. Oh my God, dude. Wait, mm-hmm. you just wait until after the show. Um, later on, in 1972, The Temptations release, Papa was a Rolling Stone. The single is cut to 6 minutes and 58 seconds because there's not enough vinyl on a 45 to handle the 11 minute, 46 second album version. Yeah, when you got something spinning, that's crazy. You can only go for so fucking long before it gets to the end. <laughs> you know what I mean? Same with the tape. Yeah. I'm very confused. Oh, because it was a 40. See, that's the problem. Like, I wonder. I never understood that with like some albums be recorded in 45 or 33. Because you figure tool albums are at 33. You can fit 25 minutes on an A side. Most albums are. Most albums are 33s, yeah. Like, I have, I think, one or two. (laughs) It was funny. The one first one I didn't realize was a 45. I played it. It was an Atheist album, Mm -hmm. a death metal album. Yeah. And, like, the vocals were, like, way deeper. They say the 45 RPM albums where they're, like, doubles and shit are higher quality. Oh, yeah. Well, but it was just, dude, I put on this 45. I didn't realize it. And I was like, yo, the the vocalist is, like, I remember him being that deep. I swore this was like, and then I pressed the button. And I like this like, band oh. even more. And I was like, dude, it sounds like a totally different band. It actually sounds like a really like well, cool then, version of the album. And then you forget <laughs> to put it back on fucking 33 and then you put on the next album. And you listen to yeah, dude. Sagar, it's like, yeah, 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 dude. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't understand that. Like with that song, I don't really get why they couldn't record something like that on a 33. I mean, Papa Boy was Rolling Stone. Isn't that fucking beat of a song to be a 45 i mean I, you could fit that on one side i guess is that really you think that's it interesting that's fucked up half the singles cut yeah literally it's a great song too. they probably just wanted to release that one as a single and they that intro fucking... is so iconic too i love that fuck i love the temptations yeah my funny story with the 33 and the 45 was um I was rooting through my grandmother's house when I heard uh, 1984, Van Halen's 1984 on vinyl. It was a little 45 uh, speed. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Dude, like I'm listening to it and it was just like, Jeb. Yeah, Jeb. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and I was like, there's something wrong with this. So I remember like stacking shit on the fucking needle because I was like, trying to like, yeah, it was trying like to slow it down. Yeah. <laughs> and you're, you're just having it go super fast <laughs> with the fucking change. Oh on my God, dude. <laughs> But yeah, that was my first time listening to 1984 on vinyl. Jesus How's it Christ. sound now? <laughs> no. 
1972, same year, David Bowie has generated so much publicity with his Ziggy Stardust concert that he sells out a show in the great famous Carnegie Hall. And That's he's having cool. his bodyguards pick out the drunkest girls to bring backstage after. Yeah, can't get through an episode <laughs> without Connor and his David Bowie hate. <laughs> of course, we can't get through a segment without it. <laughs> <laughs> Ziggy play guitar. Yeah. 45. <laughs> Ziggy played the hearts of 13-year-old girls nationwide. <laughs> Um, but anyway, in 1991, thanks to a proliferation of new country radio stations and more accurate reporting, probably due to SoundScan, country music goes mainstream <laughs> as Garth Brooks' Rope in the Wind becomes the first country album to debut at number one on the Billboard 200 chart. It would later be knocked off by Nirvana's Nevermind. No, wait, no, actually, um, <laughs> Rope in the Wind knocked Nevermind off, actually, I think. Er, I, I think they both knocked each other off. I think... Nevermind knocked Dangerous by Michael Jackson off. Rope in the Wind knocked Nevermind off. And then Nevermind knocked Rope in the Wind off. And then Rope in the Wind off, knocked Nevermind off again. <laughs> it is Rope in the Wind was bigger than Nevermind at the time. It's kind of funny to think about it, though, that at that point in time, the two biggest albums was a genre that had never seen the mainstream before and then Garth Brooks. Like, you have a country artist and a fucking grunge band. Yeah. Are the biggest albums in the fucking yeah, world? Yeah, that was probably like strange at the t- at the time. Everything had always been rock and roll, or yeah. or like R and B and blues, and and then meanwhile you got Lars Ulrich sitting there scheming on how he's going to kill Kurt Cobain. Lars Ulrich, <laughs> fucking douchebag. <laughs> After music, we know we already know we're never getting fucking Saint, uh, Lord Lars on the podcast. So Lars suck. My yeah, speaking dick. of that shit. Yeah, so <laughs> before we get to the last thing here in music history, I do want to point out that we were talking in our group chat yesterday and the long discussion we've had about bands that deserve to have biopics, Metallica is always the biggest one to come up. Like it would be a good fucking yeah, movie. Overall, They've had such a huge yeah. career. They've had so many downfalls and up uprises to where it would be a very good fucking movie. And Lars Ulrich came out on Loudwire, I think it was, or Metal Sucks or something, and he basically said, everyone would hate us if we made a biopic, so we're not going to do it because it would have to be really real and they won't like the truth. You know what's basically. really funny about this? They just released um, S&M 2 yeah. Yeah. on uh, formatting, you know, digital. And Saw Anton Corbin do the pictures for it. And it's like... I really think what he's getting at is like everything that happened up until and justice for all right. Everything that went on during those times, even if you got Dave Mustaine to come on, cause they've done behind the musics and shit like that. So you yeah. get enough information where they were just a fucking your typical eighties, nineties, drunken, you know, fun thrash band. Exactly. Everything after that, from the time they cut their hair, moving through the load reload era to where it's at today, there's really not much that you could shock me with to the point where it would totally make me loathe the band. Any well, we've all seen some do. kind of monster. So, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, how much lower you could you get? I wouldn't be steroids. surprised if there's plenty of shit they didn't dive into from those. But this is the years. thing, Metallica. And we bring this yeah. up has the discography where literally half of it is dog shit. But like, those first four albums are how, on such a pedestal that five like, first five. How do we know Robert Trujillo didn't fucking throw Cliff Burton in front of the bus? Threw him under the bus. Under the bus. Well, 
front of us, I'm advised. Is there a pun in there? Or? No, I'm just saying. <laughs> like, gave up some bad information and they like made Robert him sleep Like, Robert Trujillo was like, I'm getting in Metallica. But he didn't get in for so... Maybe it was Bob Rock. Well, I mean, well, it was... was the bassist immediately after Cliff Burton? Jason Newstead. Jason Newstead. Oh, Jason Newstead. Yeah, Robert Trujillo was like way later. All right. You know, it was Jason Newstead. Well, in my Jason opinion, I feel like Jason Robert Newstead Julio. was probably the most solid bass player that band ever had. You like him better than Cliff? Yeah. Hmm. Reason being, you agree with this? Cliff Burton. <laughs> Cliff Burton's an undeniable I mean, like base god. However, yeah, base we're getting god. off subject. We're not I talking feel like about Cliff the Burton, too, We're not doing this. Cliff Burton was bigger. We're talking about Lars Ulrich here. Hold on. Cliff Burton was <laughs> a better right bass player than what Metallica <laughs> was supposed to have. Jason Newstead fit right in. Okay, fair in my opinion, I feel like watching old live videos of Metallica, like you're watching Cliff, like you're watching them. Let me ask Real you quick. this question. All right, go ahead. Black album or kill them all? Black album. I don't like. Kill See, them all. there we go. That's why he likes Newstead better. Uh, That's his idea of like peak Metallica almost next to Anjustice. <laughs> That's not true. You like Anjustice the best. Yeah, but next, I'm saying then Master early, of Puppets. You can deal with Ride the Lightning. I love Ride the Lightning, but like, like Kill Them All. I like the Black album better than Kill Them All. Not Ride though. Not right. See, you're missing out though, because Kill 'Em All is just. It's good. It's I'm not missing out on anything, dude. It's but on I'm my saying, phone. like, that's why. That's why you can sit there, and I don't. I'm not disagreeing with you or saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I have a different opinion, and who's the better basis for the band at the time? I'm not general. saying better. More, more importantly, for the band, you're saying for the band. Yeah, I'm saying as Cliff, a collective Cliff's whole. Cliff's got a better talent, but Jason Newstead fit better. Yes, yeah, exactly. See, that's where I'm disagreeing. Okay. I'm just saying because Cliff was kind of like part of that whole aesthetic of you put Kill Em All next to Show No Mercy, Rain and Blood. You put it next to Exodus, anything they've done, Bonded by Blood, Pleasures of the Flesh, Anthrax is Fistful, all yeah. those albums. That's like the thrash I enjoy. And then everything through to Injustice for All, then you get Newstead in there and Injustice was fucking awesome. I'm not crazy about Injustice. I love Injustice. But Black Album? I love Injustice for all, dude. I don't want to do this. This is a reincarnation of episode one. More importantly than Metallica, what what did you like better? Rope in the Wind or No Fences? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was a big Lulu fan, to be honest with you. (laughs) Uh, Last thing here in music news. uh, 1997, the DVD audio format is introduced at the Audio Engineering Society, or the AES, conference. Weird. They basically had better shit before that. Like, well, they the had laser well, discs. They had uh, well, laser disc were movies. Well, those were like the big vinyl size movies. DVD audio format is like HD CD and yeah. shit like that. But I'm saying you're talking about technology wise, like there it's was like a like mobile fidelity. Shit. Yeah, pretty much. Well, shit. Now, but like that's I was, what I'm saying they had ultra discs, is what they were called yeah. before DVD audio. I was listening to um, an and interview. I was listening to Eddie Trunk yesterday, and he had John Petrucci on, and the Dingbat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they um. Dream Theater released their last album. Um, you know, it was like how anyone else would release their shit. But they had a special edition that was released on a Blu-ray to where you could listen to the album on 5.1 Dolby. I hate that shit. Which album? Dolby. Uh, whatever the last one was. When bands, when bands Dream do that Theater. shit, uh. I feel so obligated to buy it if I appreciate it. You know what I mean? Dude, it's one of those things to where, like, they say to listen to it in, like, a surround sound type setting yeah. would and be And Dream Theater like, is incredible. that type of band that produced that type of exactly for their an ambiance for their album see this is the thing though I fell into the fucking trap with Lamb of God I get this new self album <laughs> on the Super Deluxe for 30 bucks oh cool I'll probably sell that's this that's not one bad day. though Super Deluxe it for 30 it wasn't fucking bad at all until I listened to the album 
Yeah. And I was like, fuck, I could have streamed that thing and just got it later. Because they all hit fucking Discogs at the same exact price, if not a little cheaper for people that fucking bought mass market of them. Because you get people like that. Oh, yeah. 22 for sale. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. you get someone with a bot or some fuck, shit man. picking it up the second it's available. It's cool and all, but yeah, when bands do that, I mean, that's pretty cool that Dream Theater did that. Because there are certain bands where... You could buy the vinyl, but you're really not going to notice much difference from the digital stream. Like, you're really not. But some other bands, like, you can really... Oh, yeah. It'd be cool if they got, like, the Flaming Lips to, like, overdub all the shit that the Flaming Lips does over top of Unknown Pleasures, and then you did that as a surround sound album. Wait a minute. (laughs) What the fuck just happened? Hold on. I'm not following. Flaming Lips over Flaming Flaming Lips. Flaming Lips overdubs... the shit that Flaming Lips, all their crazy instrumentation and shit, over top of Unknown Pleasures. So they overdub their own <laughs> shit and put it over top of Unknown Pleasures? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, and and well, then you surround sound that bitch. Well, what I feel like <laughs> the surround sound thing, and this is kind of going to roll into our topic Hashtag here. Flaming Lips. <laughs> I think it's more or less done for a production type standpoint. Like... Well, I mean, we, we've all been in bands, we've all recorded, and it's usually just one mono track per instrument, and then it's done. Yeah. But when you have something like Adobe, Dolby Digital, like surround sound or whatever, you now have different zones. You have like top left, or top right, bottom right, middle, top yeah, left, middle left. They could left. do that. Like, they could break every part up from the original album. They've remastered it. Well, yeah, but what I'm saying is when they remaster it or they put it out for something like this, it's meant to be like like a 3D type thing to yeah. where the albums were made that way. Yeah. There's one band I feel in like you could still do it retroactively if you really wanted to. I mean, you probably could, but if you go in there music, with the intentions. You're just like uh, panning it basically diff- like more extremely. Yeah, but if you go in there with the intentions of it, like, the, we're going to release this album on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Like, you're going to go about writing the whole album or writing that particular song in a totally different way. Because you're going to be like, you know what? Well, that's what the Flaming Lips are for, I think, is to go back and be able to to kind of, like, enhance it so that the just, like... To have, like, the can, extra they'll shit. They'll be doing shit that fits with... Yeah. I'm just saying th- they provide accompaniment. You, you remaster... The original, I just think it would be crazy because you're. It pairing, would be. You're pairing like a very sad band with like a very happy band, and then <laughs> a very simple band with a very like out there experimental all over the place band. Like yeah. it's just total opposites all over the place. But I, I think it would work. <laughs> you but, would never get the Joy Division estate to agree to that, though. No. <laughs> yeah. But with. This kind of idea in mind. Speaking of production. Yeah, speaking of production, (laughs) I want to get into something we don't really talk about often on the show, but we do actually talk about it. You know, we make blips. Michael Beinhorn. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We're going to talk about producers. Brendan O'Brien. We always talk about, you know, the members in the bands and albums or whatever, but we miss out on probably one of the most crucial points. The producers, they're the ones that make these albums, the fucking... The bobs that make shit rock. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so, I mean... You should well, put an echo on him saying that. The bobs <laughs> behind the boards that make shit rock. <laughs> well, I guess kind of going off of that, I have a few here written down. I want to... Bob Rock. <laughs> there you go. 
uh, probably most notable for playing bass on Saint Anger. Playing bass on Saint Anger, <laughs> <laughs> trying to become the unofficial. Definitely most notable for the Black Album. <laughs> yeah, definitely most notable for the Black Album. Yeah. But I mean, outside of Metallica, he's done Motley Crue. Mm-hmm. He got his start Which really. Which Motley Crue? Do you know? Doctor Feelgood. Doctor Feelgood. Okay. That's actually where Lars got the idea to use Bob Rock for the Black for Album. My, in my opinion, that's the second best sounding Motley Crue album. What was the first one? The first one. Oh, okay. Live wire and shit. Yeah. Well, that's the thing too. Well, that's also where like all of our differences in like music taste come about. Because I like, I like Doctor Feelgood the best because of like the Bob Rock production. The Bob Rock production. Like I, I'm a fucking it's yeah. It's literally the same as Kill 'Em All versus. Yeah, exactly. Black I'm a album. I'm a fucking production shit. whore. Like yeah. I love good, like fucking, like not overproduced, but produced enough to be produced. You like it lush. I like it lush. <laughs> but you know, Bob Rock got to start, you know, doing the Colton shit, and that's kind of where Motley Crue found him. And like, you know, I mean, love him or hate him, the dude's made some pretty good fucking records in his day. He actually did, if I if I recall, he did the David Lee Roth album, um, Little Ain't Enough. The one that featured Jason Becker before sadly being diagnosed with ALS. Personally, I prefer Eat Him and Smile. I like Eat Him and Smile. Probably Eat Him and Smile or Skyscraper would be my top two. Oh, David. Those are my top two. Well, they're the only two that are worth a fuck. But <laughs> not little lane enough. Little Lane Enough is a good album, but it doesn't have as many good tracks as Skyscraper. Has Eddie ever played on a David Lee Roth solo album? No. No. Never. Anybody from Van Halen? Never. No. Eddie's like, if you fuck with David after what he did, you're out. Pretty much. Even, and then Even to like his brother and son. He's like, oh yeah. if you're with David, you're with me. Well, apparently that. I heard through the grapevine is that there's a new David Lee Roth album that's been recorded with John Five on guitar. And it's and like John a waiting. John Five was with Ozzy? John Five's with Rob Zombie. Okay, that's right. And this album's done and like ready to come out. It's just waiting for David to pull the trigger. Why won't he pull the trigger, Rona? Well, this album's been done for like two years. I said, why won't he pull the trigger, Rona? Rona? <laughs> no, but he's probably waiting for the fucking optimal time. Actually, honestly, he's probably waiting for Eddie Van Halen to die. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> this is the most difficult time of my life <laughs> to get through it. I'm going to release this. Yeah. <laughs> I have to get through it with you. I'm going to honor this and release an <laughs> album for Eddie Van Halen that I've had written for months now and just conveniently decide to release it because. Pretty much. <laughs> so, does anyone else have a producer? Or should I go with my last one? Yeah. What's your last one? You just finish, finish it off and then. Um, Jason Sukoff. What do you do? He has done a lot of shit. Uh, he's done Death Angel, Trivium, All That Remains, Black Dahlia Murder, Austrian Death Machine. He's a he's a big metal producer. He's like he was like one of like the forerunners in the very beginning. Like he did like God Forbid and like fucking you know like All That Remains. Like uh, I'm pretty sure he did Kill Switch Engage at one point too. Like he so he was like metal core. Yeah, or he, he was like yeah. he's the reason why all those bands like sounded like they had that particular sound and he kind of took the things that one of Steve's picks here kind of did and like went to like the next level. He was like that generation's version of the one that you got. I have two, but yeah, well, you know, know which one I'm talking about. Yeah, of course. Yeah. We'll talk about it. But 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like he's a he's a producer that doesn't really get talked about enough, or at least in like general conversation. Well, I think that in general, just like of the extreme metal, especially, a lot of those producers fly under the radar because their range of production, they'll listen to the albums and some of the bands you named, it's a lot different from like the eighties, nineties, where you could hear a band and be like, wow, like that does sound similar. That guitar tone, that drum quality, like just everything about it had a very familiar sound. And then you could realize like, oh shit, same guy did it. Same guy did it. Like last year he did uh death angels, human side, uh, 2018, he did Deicides, Overtures of Blasphemy, uh, Carnifex, Death Angel, Drowning Pool, uh, Joffer Cowboy Sun Eater back in 2014, Death Angel in 2013, The Dream Calls for Blood, uh, Motionless and White, The Contortionist, Chelsea Grin, Six Feet Under, Undead. So that kind of gives him some fucking death metal fucking creds right there. Um, Demonocracy by Joffer Cowboy. Uh, God Forbids Equilibrium in 2012, uh, Leveler by August Burns Red, uh, Black Dahlia Murders Ritual, let's see here, Doth, uh, Death Angels Relentless Retribution, Whitechapel, fucking dude, he's done all kinds of shit. He did August Burns Red's uh, Constellations, I believe that's the one that has, um, like, uh, god damn it. What the fuck is the name of that? It's Composure. The big the big song that everyone knows from them. From who? August Burns Red. Composure, right? Yeah, Composure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's Didn't you just say that though? Yeah. I, you I, weren't sure? Yeah, I wasn't sure yeah, that it's was the name. Composure, yeah. Um my favorite job for a cowboy album, Ruination. I remember that from <laughs> <there>. <laughs> Just beep out that name. We don't want any yeah. issues. Yeah. <laughs> I remember um, that beep. <laughs> I mean, he kind of got his he he got his start back in like 2003, where he did um, Trivium's Ember to Inferno. I mean that that was a pretty big one, and then Ascendancy by Trivium. Mm. So he's like deeply rooted in like the metalcore. Well, Death Angel on there. I mean, he kind of took an old act and like because yeah. even new Death Angel, you can totally hear like. Their first few albums, like the Ultraviolence and Act Three, I mean, they were your typical '90s. Well, he started working with them in 2010. Yeah, that no, that's what I'm saying. I, if you listen to their stuff, you can actually hear the progression to know that a producer of that mindset was working with them because just the real polished tech, you know, of the sound of it, mm-hmm. it's way different than if you go anything prior to that. I would say even all the way back to like 2000, back to like 1990. Dude, he's done a lot of shit, and I, you know, I, the, now I'm actually reading through his discography. He's done quite a bit of fucking music that I remember listening to, like getting into metal and stuff. Like he's, he's, he's extremely important to all this kind of shit. You know, I mean, even so much as like going back to fucking bury your dead and fucking the autumn offering. Do you remember them? Oh yeah, they're fucking nasty. Devil Driver. He did Black Dahlia Murders, fucking Nocturnal too. Great album. And fucking insane so seven, album. right? Yeah, I believe. Seven. Yep, 2007. Yeah, I remember that came out. Nocturnal was sick. excited about that. So who wants to go next? So just to keep it on the metal, because I'll get this one over with, because the second one I'm going to mention, Connor's going to totally be into, and I'll blend right into his. <laughs> but just before I even name this guy, I mean, this dude is probably literally behind every death metal gem of like the late 80s, early 90s. Just let, let me like some of these bands. Atheist, Cancer, 
Cannibal Corpse from 1990 to 1996 did Eaten Back to Life, Butchered at Birth, Tomb of the Mutilated, The Bleeding, Vile. He did Death's Leprosy, Spiritual Healing, Human, Individual Patterns, Deicides, Deicide Legion, Once Upon the Cross, Serpents of the Light, Demolition Hammer, Gorguts. He did Loud Blast, Malevolent Creation, Master, Napalm Death, Obituary, Slowly We Rot from 89 all the way to Frozen in Time in 2006, Pestilence, Sadus, Sepultura, Suffocation, Terrorizer. Can I, get, can I guess on who this is? You can guess. Scott Burns. Absolutely. Bro, I'm t- see, this is the reason why like, I like the fact that we're doing this because Scott Burns is like that producer where I was getting into death metal for the longest time and I would find bands and his sound unknowingly was like my preferred sound of like when I heard an album. Like I remember when I heard Leprosy, I was like, fuck yeah. Yeah. You know, and then I heard Sepultura's Arise. And I was like, fuck yeah. And then mm-hmm. I heard like Obituary's first couple albums, Pestilence. You know, then I heard Deicide stuff. And it was funny because all these bands not really knowing that they all had that common denominator of like who produced the albums. Then when I got older, I you looked into that. Like into there's got to be something behind why they all sound. There it is. Scott and by look, yeah. And then like looking at that, like all those bands are like household names of any death metal fan. Like they're your typical Slayer, Metallica, Anthrax, patched wearing motherfuckers. Like yep. DSI, Death, Cannibal Corpse, Atheist, Malevolent Creation, Demolition Hammer, Sepulchre, like all those bands. Um, but every single one of those acts, man, I mean, I'm telling you, like if you haven't listened to them, you have to. Now, what I want to blend into to get back into like, we want to talk about top-notch producers here with a fucking wide variety of range is Rick Rubin. Ah, uh, dude, come on. Oh, I mean, yeah, Rick Rubin's great. Rick yeah, Rubin. We, we can't even have a discussion on producers I mean, without bringing him up. There's a couple bands that I don't think Rick Rubin was good for. Slayer. Slayer. <laughs> I, I'm not too familiar with like the albums in depth. Rain and Rick Blood. Ru- he did Rain and Blood? He did Rain and Blood. Okay, Rain and Blood sounds good. He did Seasons <laughs> in the Abyss. Yeah. He okay. did South of Heaven. Okay. Like, he did, like... I'm, Slayer's meat. Yeah. Yeah, but didn't he also do like the latest one too? Yeah, he, does, like, uh, yeah, he did. He came back. He yeah, yeah, since Rain and Blood. But I think there was two that he wasn't a part of. I think he stopped after Define. Metallica ditched him, right? Metallica ditched him. Um, did, they go, did they go back to Bob Rock? I believe so. But no, let me. Metallica's no. not with Bob Rock. Let me just. Who did they, who did they go with after? All right, fuck me. Too. Just if we go into this chronologically, <laughs> dude, it's just funny. Like when you read his chronological, I'll start with. Um, 85, he did LL Cool J's Radio. Oh, 86, yeah, he did fuck. Run DMC, Raising Hell. Same year, he did Run DMC's Raising Hell. He did Slayer's Raining like Blood. Do you like Radio by LL Cool J? I do. Okay. Same year of 86, he did Beastie Boys License to Ill. Fuck yeah. Let's fast forward now. He does Run DMC's Christmas and Hollis in 87. LL Cool J's Jack the Ripper in 87. Slayer's South of Heaven in 88. Then on Deaf American, first release, Danzig by Danzig. Oh shit! He, he also did Danzig. Too. He also did Lucifuge, the second album. I mean, dude, this guy—he did fucking Blood Sugar Sex Magic. He, t- yeah, he takes a nation of a million to hold us from Public Enemy. Maybe one or two of the past albums. Yeah, did Danzig Three? How the Gods Kill? I mean, this is probably if you want to talk about producers. Th- just overall, when we talk about the level of fucking talent 
and how good the albums are yeah. and the fact that you couldn't sit there and listen to Blood Sugar Sex Magic and be like, oh, this reminds me of Rain and Blood. This <laughs> reminds me of LL Cool J's radio. Like, there's just such a wide range, like, to have that talent, to have that ear. What was the make- Eminem album that he did? Oh, uh, hold on. Con- no, um, what was... It was before Kamikaze. Um, he did Further Down the Spiral. He com- no, no, he didn't do Kamikaze. That was Dre, I think. No, it was Kamikaze he did. Was it? It was the one with the Beastie Boys cover. Yeah, but I thought that was the one after that. Damn, he did Systems of a Down, System of a Down. I think he did Toxicity, too. I think he did as well. Uh, Undis- I think he-, he did Undisputed Attitude. He did ACDC's Ball Breaker, Red Hot Chili Peppers, One Hot Minute. He did Further everything. Down the Spiral by He did Californication. Californication. Stadium Arcadium. Fucking Christ, dude. Um, all the audio Rage slaves, Against the Machines, dude. Renegades. Yeah. In the Eagle Eye Cherry. God all, hates us all. Yeah, so he's done everything. All for the audio slave shit. By the Rick way, Rick Rubin did Revival. Audio Slave by Audio Slave. Rick Rubin didn't do Kamikaze, though? You're sure? God damn. Yeah, uh, it doesn't make any fucking sense. Producers, Dr. Dre, Slim Shady. Huh. Yeah, a bunch of other people, not Rick Rubin. Revival fucking sucked. Yeah. Rick oh. Rubin was on uh, Marshmallows LP2. Coheed and Cambria. Uh, that's probably what I'm thinking of, actually, because of Berserk. Oh, he did Death Magnetic. Yeah, Berserk. He did Rick Death Rubin Mag- did Death Magnetic. Yeah. yeah, I knew he did something that was yeah, a fucking that's what flop, it was. dude. Yeah. I, I'll be honest with you, Death Magnetic... From everything <laughs> after, Definitely I would probably magnetic. say Load, because Reload's really sucked. But I don't mind Load to be that shitty compared to like their later stuff. So you've yeah. changed your tune since season one. No, I still don't like the album, but it's not <laughs> It's not no fucking Sane Anger or Hardwired. Yeah, like, yeah. But Death Magnetic was like, it was like almost like, oh man, they might put out something better later. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, like old Nightmare yeah. Long. There were some cool riffs in that album, and the yeah, solos there was came cool back. Riffs, but that was but... the thing. That album was enough for me to be like, maybe they're gonna put out something good. Like that was just like, <laughs> what, there's Death magnetic. Yeah, because it was yeah. still bad, but it was like they're going somewhere. What well, was and... their first album since Saint Anger? I know. To where it was Hardwired like... to self destruct was garbage, right? I, I didn't listen to. It. Dude, I, I was stayed not up. A fan. Yeah. There was, was a couple songs where I was like, okay, yeah, it's it's good. Let's but put it's it not this Metallica way. Good. Let's put it this way. I was in a location where all I had was an FM radio. Okay, <laughs> I was. Feeling good that night, and Metallica's album was coming on at midnight, front to back, the day of its release. And I was like, dude, I'm stuck with this radio. I got nothing else. Like, the least I can do is listen to new Metallica. Given my circumstance, you would think that that would have been like the highlight of my night, considering where I was at the time. (laughs) But after it was done, I was like, more disgusted (laughs) about my situation. (laughs) Yeah, dude, I was like, and every, dude, I remember. Like, there was, like, little in-betweens of the guy that was hosting the station. Like, and that was spit out the bone by Metallica. The next one off. Like, he was, like, always, like, announcing the songs. And I'm like, well, that one sucks. That one sucks. <laughs> Holy shit, I didn't even think it could suck even worse. <laughs> and because I was like, dude, they're just so stuck. And the shame thing is, like, when we were mentioning Rick Rubin, I think that's the only reason that could be behind that. Because the production... It was almost better, but it was like he was trying to really like clean off some fucking dirt to get through to like Metallica there. Well, that's the thing, dude. Metallica had dug themselves in a hole since the fucking early 90s. Oh, yeah. And they just weren't able to get out of it. Oh, yeah. They're they're stuck. No, like honestly, dude, they would need to take some serious fucking retooling with that band to get them to that level. They're beyond repair. The, I think they, they literally I won't even be think there. Megadeth is like stuck in a motorhead situation, which I'm okay with. Yeah, they can keep fine. releasing music, but they didn't totally Fall strike down the their career. Yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah. 
But Rick Rubin, going back to him, man, I, that's probably overall. Yeah, you, like you Scott can't. Burns, for my personal taste of extreme metal, that's the go-to guy. But Rick Rubin has done so many artists, so many genres, and so many iconic albums that oh, you yeah. cannot deny the fact that you like a Rick Rubin album. Okay, true. who the fuck you are? You like an album by Rick? Yeah, Rubin. there's at least one at least in one. your fucking favorite album. Absolutely, that's a Rick Rubin touched a- album. Absolutely, that's awesome. You have a third one or no? That's the two. I'm what about. do you got, Connor? Another guy Connor's like that, be. where pretty much everybody likes at least something he's done. <laughs> Steve Albini. Oh yeah, everybody likes Steve Just Albini. Everyone likes work. Steve Albini. Um, <laughs> Steve Albini, like I just it's. His whole style. It's not even with him. It's not even the albums he did. It's his approach and his results. Um, he just has that big drum, the live sound that I like. Like he goes for live sounds. Like he's like the opposite of every other producer who turns up the vocals and turns down the drums. He turns up the drums and turns down the vocals. Yeah, which I really like. Um, Terry Date is a really good one. I want to get into him. Terry Date's bad as fuck, dude. Yeah, Terry Date's another one, like a Pantera. unsung Rick Rubin, where he's done just so much shit that it's crazy. Uh, Metal Church, th- uh, two albums by them. Which one's the first two? Metal Church, self-titled, and The Dark. Uh, he did an, He did the self-titled by Fifth Angel. Uh, he did. The first Sir Mix-a-Lot album. He did Martha's Flatterhead's Maddest Stories Ever Told by The Accused. He did Blessing in Disguise by Metal Church. When Dream and Day Unite by Dream Theater. Louder Than Love and Bad Motorfinger by Soundgarden. Apple by Mother Love Bone. Cowboys from Hell. Uh, Uncle Anesthesia by Screaming Trees. Vulgar Display of Power. Um, I think he did all the Pantera albums. Yeah, I think so too. Um, Cleansing by Prong, Astro Creep 2000 by White Zombie, around the bunch of Deftones. Everything, everything. Nah, he even did Adrenaline. He's done everything by the Deftones. Um, Chocolate Starfish. Or, I don't know. White Pony might have been done by somebody else, actually. Oh, no, he did do White Pony. Um, he did Science by Incubus, um, Dysfunction by Stained. I mean, it was a big album. Significant Other by Limb Biscuit, Wait and Bleed, Slipknot, uh, Chocolate Starfish. Uh, he did the last album by Slayer, too. Oh, wow. Repentless, yeah. He did an OTEP album, uh, The Matrix Reloaded soundtrack. Oh, um, shit. Prince of Darkness by Ozzy. Uh, I think you, that was a box set. Okay. See you on the other side by Corn. Um That was a that wasn't a bad album. Nah, that had Twisted Transistor on it. Yeah. Coming Undone. I remember those two. Those yeah. were like big. Yeah. Zeitgeist by Smashing Pumpkins, their first album back. Uh Bring Me the Horizon album, Repentless. Yeah. They're doing the next stuff tones that's about to come out. Um, and I sent you guys that song. You've listened to it, right? That song Ohms. Yeah, yeah. They released. I dude, I fucking loved it. Yeah, I thought it was good. I'm excited for this. They don't disappoint. They're like yeah. the fuck. They're like like unpopular opinion. Deftones is a better band than Radiohead. Obviously, this podcast is recorded. They blow the fucking doors off Radiohead. Oh yeah. Like obviously, this podcast is recorded uh, ahead of time. 
Uh, Deftones Ohms comes out uh, December twenty. I mean uh, September twenty fifth. This podcast comes out on the twenty eighth. Yeah, I'm by now you've already heard one. this. Yeah, no, no, I'm saying like if you're if you're interested in the new Deftones album, it's already out three days. But in our time period here, back in the days of yesteryear, it's not yet available. Brendan O'Brien's another big one from that time. Uh, Shake Your Money Maker. He was an engineer on that by the Black Crows. He mixed Pearl Jam 10. He mixed Temple of the Dog. He engineered Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Engineered Southern Harmony Musical Companion by Black Crows. So what was he working under? Rick Rubin? Maybe it seems like he's a lot. He's yeah, on like a lot of a Rick lot of Rubin stuff, shit. Yeah. Producer mixer for Core by Stone Temple Pilots. Oh shit! Producer engineer for Verses by Pearl Jam. Get a grip. He mixed by Aerosmith. Fourteen songs by Paul Westerberg. He mixed Vitology. He produced and engineered. He mixed Super Unknown. Uh, he produced Purple. Produced Mirrorball by Neil Young and Pearl Jam. Uh, some people like that out the album. hundred percent fun by Matthew Sweet. Okay. Um, I forget the single off that, but that had his hit on it. Um, no Code by Pearl Jam, he produced and mixed. Tiny Music, he produced and mixed. Evil Empire, he produced. Um, Yield, he produced and mixed. Battle Los Angeles, he produced and mixed. Number Four by Stone Temple Pilots, he produced and mixed. Issues by Corn, same. Mixed Lifehouse, No Name Face, the biggest song of 2000. One producer. Hanging by a moment. That you mentioned, I would like because you mentioned with Steve Albini with like Butch Vig. It's funny if you look at Butch Vig. I was just looking at he his, has some uh, a lot of shit under his belt. But too. this yeah. is the thing: if you notice in '91, man, when he did Nevermind, he did an album Gish. called Cement. Then he did Gish and Eight Way Santa. Yeah, Tad. Yeah. Ever since '91, dude, it was like slowly downhill. Slowly downhill. I mean, if you think of some of the... Like, he was part of Siamese Dream. He did Dirty by Sonic Youth. Yeah, but he did, he did also Sonic Highways. Oh, yeah. Sound I mean, City, Real to Real, Wasting Light by the It's, a, it's a miracle he's a well, record producer and like, even still That's what I'm saying. He only had... Like, you figure, like, we need, If he what, didn't do six, Nevermind, seven. he wouldn't be doing shit anymore. That's what I'm saying. 94, think, he did three albums. Did one album, and he went from 94 yeah, to I think he also did Garbage beginning 1995. Yeah. Yeah. We have to think, dude, the pinnacle of his career, you know, Foo Fighters Wasting Light. I just ordered a new copy of that. Did you? <laughs> Sonic Highways, dude. I got for, got for eight bucks, and it's the original one with the master tape and the other Oh, really? That's cool. Sonic Highways, yeah. dude. I wasn't a fan of Sonic Highways. Sonic Highways is a fucking pile of burning, fucking steaming shit. <laughs> um, so is fucking Concrete and Gold. It's all fucking over for the Foo Fighters. I really... Uh, Sorry, can- Dave. You're gonna have to do Foo more Fighters cameos. have become the nickelback of this podcast. Oh, yeah. We like never miss an opportunity. The problem, just... Foo Fighters are like they <laughs> Dave Grohl's they're in nickelback territory. Like, um, yeah, like like what started. I wouldn't for even me say was when they ripped off Holy Diver. Yeah, like Holy Diver is not an obscure fucking tune. Wait a minute, who did? Yeah, they did uh, on Rope or no? It wasn't uh, Rope. It something was something from nothing. It was one of those first singles. I yeah, think it was something from it, nothing. Something from nothing. It, it's literally that. Swear oh, to God, I thought dude. you meant like it was a cover. No, no, no. no it's it, like it sounds like a riff. They literally it's almost like that uh, that Diamond Head song. It sounds awful a lot like a Metallica song. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a Foo Fighters song that sounds that. an awful lot. It's like, like that fucking. Close. It's like a close. Yeah. yeah. 
I gotta hear and it was the first fucking single from that album. So oh. it was like, yo, yeah, that's a very like hard to you gotta not than like this, point man. out riff. Like speaking of Foo Fighters, when I did the interview with Fluff, the guy from YouTube a couple weeks ago, uh-huh. he told me that one of the best concerts he ever saw was Foo Fighters in a club when they toured on uh, the first album, second album, second album. He said he saw for fifteen then. bucks. Yeah. He said it was fucking that's fine. incredible. And that's fine. Well, he lives in Seattle, and, right? Yeah. So he's he, Dave Grohl's coming up there. He's got to impress dude, all the fucking grunge hipsters. Exactly. Bro, even if Foo Fighters all. would go out there and charge 30 40 for lawn, I'd probably go see them. Yeah, but when they you want buck 20 yeah, yeah, dude, come on, Well, man. it was funny because we were talking about it. Dude, I, we, well, you're going to have to... You're a fucking asshole. Yeah. That's what when, you are, Dave fucking girl. Foo Fighters weren't shit for a long time. Yeah, fucking we, Foo Fighters took a long time to get off the ground, <laughs> and it was fucking kids like yeah, but us. Once they did, they hit in O five yeah. who were buying their shit still on fucking CD. I'm surprised Dave Grohl hasn't forced us to have the new album on our fucking devices yet. He's he would be that guy. U2 territory. <laughs> yeah, they're up there, dude. Dave Grohl, why don't you go fucking hang out with your friend Chad Kroger and just call it a day? All yeah, right, dude. bud. Go up to Canada. Waiting for that compilation. Go up to Canada. Dude, waiting for I, that mashup. I am literally waiting for the day that Dave Grohl fucking crashes into my house with the fucking Foo Copter. <laughs> the Foo Copter. The Foo Copter. It's like a fucking family guy with the Peter Copter. Yeah. It's going to be a helicopter of Dave Grohl. No, I'm telling you. It's going to be like in South Park. I'll bring it up where Stan's dad is about to beat Bono's record for the biggest piece of shit ever. <laughs> and like Bono like straight up like tells him like, you got to follow these rules or you can't do it. And like, that's the fuck over Stan. That. I'm waiting for like Dave Grohl to just be Back so petty Park and like get us like a like a cease and desist order somehow. <laughs> like you're gonna get some mail, like some fucking super legal mail from like Grohl's you know, representatives. <laughs> like he's gonna See, go out of his way because like South Park. They're probably even telling him like, dude, Dave, it's not even that big of a deal. They don't have like they're not like nobody's really good. I, I don't care. Make, they don't even make money. I don't care. <laughs> I want what they. I want. Every, you imagine Dave Grohl comes in destroyed. here, takes the microphones, like he like they, wins the or. Like, they work full time jobs. Yeah. they're not making money off of this. They're very blue collar individuals from <laughs> Southern New Jersey. They He's like Jesus. going up to his fucking uh, evil emperor Paul McCartney. He's like, my lord, I think Kurt Cobain's still alive. He's working with these Rage Against the they Mainstream podcasts. They're working for <laughs> yeah. Cobain. I'm they telling have you, to be destroyed. <laughs> Paul's like, no, the Cobain boy was destroyed. <laughs> I have foreseen it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> Grohl's like I'm telling you I gotta get to fucking Glassboro New Jersey <laughs> honestly like, like I I've, I mean not that I'm like conceited enough to where I think that Metallica or Foo Fighters will ever hear this podcast but I do think about it every now and then like I'm like man like what if fucking James Hetfield like listens to me talk about how much like his fucking last couple albums have completely sucked. Oh, yeah, My biggest the, problem. The James best Hetfield. thing about it is though, dude, they're the type of guys where they grew up in that type of shit to be able to like talk shit on people and all sorts of things. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? So like at any point if they really caught some backlash, like dude, I'll go out there and see your first four albums and for Bill first five albums are fucking phenomenal. Yeah. I'll say that. For me first three. Okay, yeah, you're not really a big For me, my biggest guy. problem with James Heffield is we all know he has a very tiny penis. Is that the biggest problem? It, it, it's a problem. <laughs> like, he, he gets up there strutting around, the thinks pants. he's got a big dick. <laughs> Little dick. Nah, I mean, like, like honestly though, like if Dave Grohl like ever came like and Homie came for us, like I'd be like, dude, like fuck, like I really like Foo That's Fighters. That's what I'm saying. Like at the end of the day, like I really like Foo Fighters though. <laughs> 
Like, Dave, it's just so easy to pick on Dude, there's like, (laughs) keep going back to South Park, but there's a scene where Stan and Kyle are about to meet uh, Jay Cutler when he's on the Broncos because they're in Denver. And he's like, hey, Jay Cutler. And he's like, hey, kid, you want to autograph? He's like, no, not really. Like, you kind of suck, but like, hi. Like, <laughs> see, it's nice I don't to meet really you. Like, like Foo Fighters anymore. But see, that's the thing. I still enjoy. I, I still enjoy Foo Fighters. Like I said, it's one of those bands. Like I'm telling you right now, I'm putting the self title on my fucking device before any David Lee Roth solo shit. Like I can hold Foo Fighters to a Low standard. Bar, of, like, no offense. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Like I'll still. I don't have full David Lee Roth. Listen <laughs> to that album. Like I'll still listen to Color and Shape to an extent. Really? Like, I don't hate them. You'll, to the pl- you'll listen to Color and shape front to back not front to back yeah come on like i'll give it a but i'm saying i'll get hey, through johnny a park i'll skip monkey i like hey, johnny park you ruined monkey and Ren- monkey, monkey Ren- Ren- is a horrible song yeah you ruined it <laughs> ever since i thought about that riff i had like an existential crisis where i was like looking out into the sky like how the fuck did i like this song for, like, a <laughs> that riff is so bad dude the whole album's bad no nah, i would say the whole like, album it's like except for the verses on everlong it's bad my hero's yeah. all right. Like wind ups, all right. Enough space is all right. The rest of it's garbage. I do like the doll. Bridge, can't stand. <laughs> yeah, dolls for you. See you. I can't weak. stand. Um, um, hey Johnny Park, I can't stand. If we're gonna narrow this in to finish this up with the producers, <laughs> yeah. let's say this. I say we each pick three producers. Try to obviously be different. And for, an album from each. Yeah, each in each producer you pick. It doesn't even have to be your favorite. Just a standout album by them to listen to. We'll kind of make a little compilation of that just to give you an idea. You know, so Bill, if you want to go first. All right. Well, do you want to do all three? Yeah, or? do all three. Just say name. All right. So, as we were discussing earlier uh, with Ted Templeman, I'm gonna have to fucking suggest to listen to Van Halen one. I mean, I feel I feel like sometimes it's like a broken record with it's the how best much produced one. Yeah, like I feel like a broken record sometimes with how much I fucking praise Van Halen and kind of nut ride on them. But I mean, with, I an, al- with an album like Van Halen, I have a similar one, problem. <laughs> but with an with an album like Van Halen one, like and you know, y- you can't help but you'd be like, listen, like it just generation to defying exactly defining album. Yeah. Uh, um. My second one, Bob Rock, obviously, I'm going to have to pick Metallica's Black Album. In my opinion, to this day, still has the best fucking drum sound out of any album I've ever heard. Like, if you listen to fucking Enter Sandman, like that opening. Like, if you're in, like, a fucking quiet-ass room or, like, a car with the fucking radio up, it sounds like you're sitting behind the drum kit with Lars. It's fucking incredible. Mm. Bob Rock was just able to make good fucking good sounding songs. And um, with Jason Sukoff, I want to give a special shout out there for Joffrey Cowboy with their album Ruination, which is my personal favorite from uh, their whole entire discography. Um, Ruination, I feel like is I feel like if if someone were not to know what deathcore is, or even like extreme metal to like that extent or grindcore, I would have to show them ruination. And I feel like that's a pretty good example in a nutshell of what this or what that genre is. And it's like I said before, Jason Sukoff, he is responsible for all these albums and basically creating a new sound and production style for all of these. You know, all these bands. Yeah. All right. So I got Terry Date, 
who we all we went through, did yeah. a lot of shit. Um, I feel like his the essential pick from him, the best produced album is White Pony. I like White Pony a lot. Sound of it's fucking sweet. Yeah, that was like that was where Deftones started sounding like how Deftones has sounded since. Yeah, like there's obviously nothing wrong with Adrenaline or Around the Fur, but uh, on White Pony is where they found their home sound. Oh, absolutely on, on production terms. Um, Steve Albini, Nirvana's third and final album in utero. You, you can't even uh, argue with that at all. Yeah, it's just it, the production on that is is generation defying. Exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Brian, you know, um, remaining light, talking heads. Nice. I almost picked Brian, you know, too. Yeah. Um. I'm going to pick my first one's going to be Martin Birch. Uh, Martin Birch did actually the Dio, like pretty much everything Dio did up and through okay. his Sabbath career. He did everything with Rainbow. He did Heaven did and he Hell. Did he any, oh, he did Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules. He did okay. both of them. He cool. also did uh, a lot of Deep Purple stuff. He did Killers by Maiden. Um, so that, the one I'm going to pick out, though, is Deep Purple and Rock, the 1970 release by them. I think that's arguably their best album next to Machine Head. Oh, yeah. Deep Purple and Rock's really fucking good. Um, Scott Is that Burns. the one where they're on like the fucking Mount yeah, Rushmore? Yeah, it looks like a Mount shit. Rushmore. Okay. Yeah, that's that album's excellent. I'm going to do Scott Burns. I mean, there's just so much here. I'm just going to keep it simple because it's probably my favorite death metal album as well as just probably the best Scott Burns produced work ever. Can I take a guess? Go ahead. Is it a death album? Yeah, it is. Leprosy? Absolutely. Yeah. 1988. <laughs> that's the way to go. And then Rick Rubin. I'm going to be different about this to kind of keep it balanced of genres. One hot minute. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, repentless. Yeah. Um, but no, I'm going to stick to, um, because it's just probably one of my favorite hip hop albums also released in 1988. And just the fact that this was going on the same time death was going on, but it takes a nation of a million to hold us back. Public enemy. Rick. Oh Rick yeah. Rick. I mean, that's oh, just, man. yeah. Show, show, show them what you got. It's that, so album's my, that song's my shit too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. So, is there a producer that we didn't talk about that you would have wanted us to talk about? Is there someone that you feel like should be, you know, given the accolades they deserve? Me, myself, honorable mention, Scott Litt and um, John Agnello. Quincy Jones. <laughs> Quincy Jones, good. Honorable mention. Yeah. <laughs> if I had to do a... <laughs> Sorry. Let's just extend this another, you know. Yeah. <laughs> if I had to pick a, you know, a uh, special mention, it would have to be John Purdell. His, uh, his list isn't super long because his life was short-lived, but he did Quiet Riot 3, uh, Britney Fox. Most notably, he did Ozzy's No More Tears in 1991, uh, Foreigner. Heart, Alice Cooper, Cinderella, Dream Theater, and Osmosis. The also, um, least favorite Ozzy album. Phil Spector. <laughs> Despite the uh, personal drama. But, like I said before, is there is there a, a producer that you feel like we should have talked about? One that we overlooked? One that we should have talked about? Get at us on our social media pages. Facebook and Instagram. No, Instagram and Twitter. At RETM Podcast, Facebook.com slash RETM Podcast, 
Or you can personalize it and wrap it up and send it nicely in an email to ratmpodcast at gmail.com. But that concludes this topic for today. We're going to get into our suggestions of the week here. Our group suggestion is to check out the documentary that came out in 2016 entitled Death by Metal. Uh, directed by Felipe Bella Cazar. Um, it basically chronicles the start of, uh, you know, Chuck Schuldner's career as being the frontman and brainchild of death. Well, brainchild would be the project. Yeah. His brain, his brain, his brain, his brain, his brain brain created this child. (laughs) Um, death and, you know, control denied. Um, really, really good documentary. I mean, uh, you can catch it on, uh, Tubi, T-U-B-I, it's a new app or whatever, if you have Comcast. And also, if anybody out there actually has the set Death by Metal, feel free to submit me uh, the possibility of buying that, since it's probably the hardest fucking thing to find for sale anywhere. That's yeah. the first ever demo tape by Death. It was called Death by Metal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's, like, impossible to find. Uh, for anyone that's, like, looking to get into the band or you're wondering why me and Steve talk about Death so much or the reason why we put Chuck Schuldner on such a high pedestal, if you watch this documentary, you'll understand it completely, and it might even make you become a fan of the Very band. talented musician at the end of the day. But um, I guess let's get into our personal suggestions for this week. Um, my personal suggestion is to check out the song Forever, by Eminem featuring Drake, Lil Wayne, Kanye West. Um, in my opinion, I think this might be one of the best Eminem verses, if not one of the best features on a song ever. Very popular song. Very good. Dude, honestly, like it was funny because me and Nicole were driving and I was just like, like I was like, I think I think we might have been like listening to one of our episodes or something, and we were talking about rappers, and I was like, you know what, Eminem like hasn't really done a bad feature like ever. Yeah. And then I think about it, and I put it on, I put it on forever, and I was like, he fucking killed that. Yeah. Like really seriously killed that. Yeah, because even like most Eminem features are kind of like here they go. Me totally Packing around. Stadiums. Like I remember <laughs> when I listened to the documentary by Game, and I had got through like three quarters of that album, and I was like, dude, this album's dope. And then I heard We Ain't, and I heard that fucking Eminem verse, and I'm like, dude, dude, he kills everything yeah, he he's really, on. Yeah, especially in that like early 2000s, late 90s, M. Like you know when you he recommended the documentary before, right? No, I had that on my list of like favorites, I believe. Okay, yeah, that's on there. It was on it was on Instagram, but it wasn't a, a suggestion. Yeah. But yeah, so um, it's on Relapse Refill, and I'm pretty sure it was released as a single as well, but if you just go on Spotify and type in Forever Eminem, it'll come up. Mm. Oh yeah, Forever's insane. Well, that's honestly so probably you're, you're, one of my favorite. Your featured album is Relapse Refill? Yes. Nice. Um, I got Pink Flag by Wire, featured track Mannequin. Nice. It's like a fucking insane album. One, two, X, use my shit. Yeah, Reuters, X, Lion, Tamer. Reuters, so yeah, good. yeah. That's um, such a good album. So many good ones. God, yeah. so good. I'm yeah. so pissed you got that on CD. I fucking want that. <laughs> <laughs> I want it. Um, I'm going to go and say first, since these are recorded um, much further in advance, the episodes we recorded around the time of this date. I did not mention this since I found out, obviously, afterwards. But August 24th, 2020, singer from Power Trip, Riley Gale, died. Um, from unannounced circumstances, 
Rest um, in peace. Power Trip, if anybody hasn't listened to them, if they're a fan of that like crossover DRI style of that modern thrash that's coming out, because they were started around like the early 2000s, kind of like Municipal Waste, Warbringer, Toxic Holocaust, but Riley Gale's lyrical content is just more sincere than Municipal Waste. The musicianship is way more in tune than Warbringer. Like, there's just something about that band. So, like, the past couple weeks, and I hate to be the guy that's, like, jumping on the bandwagon because after somebody died, but I'm, like, really pissed that I was, like, not into the band as much as I was because this is, like, right up my alley in the sense yeah. of, like, modern thrash. It is, it is surprising that you weren't, like, more into I don't, them. I don't get it because, like, I love Toxic Holocaust. Like, I even, like, love... Well, they kind of flew under the radar. Ju- I know. They really did. Dude, and they and were a younger at, band, too. Yeah, and I was looking at some of their shows, and they were always, like, that that band playing on that like weird side stage early in the fucking morning. Like mm-hmm. I think one of the shows are playing seven forty five. Well, how old was Riley? He was like 27 or something. Right? He was young. I he, think he was, was in his thirties. Was he? But I mean, they started that band. He was like in his, like early twenties. Yeah. I mean, so, um, but the album I'm recommending is the compilation of songs that they didn't release on any of their feature lengths. It's called opening fire. It's a compilation from their songs from 08 to 2014. Uh, it was released in 2018 Song I'm recommending is going to be track two. It's called Suffer No Fool. Nice. Yeah. Power Trip's great. Rest yeah, in peace. Good. Rest in peace, Riley Gale. Um, yeah, so I guess that kind of wraps up for this week. This is Rage Against the Mainstream signing off for the evening. Um, if you like, you can get us at our social medias. Again, uh, Instagram and Twitter, at RATM Podcast. Facebook.com slash RATM Podcast. Our email is always open and ready for your hot and juicy submissions at ratmpodcast at gmail.com. And you can always visit our website at ratmpodcast.wixsite.com slash ratmpodcast. And by <laughs> hot and juicy that, submissions, bro, pop it in. Yeah. By yeah. hot and juicy submissions, we mean that if you have a death by metal tape for sale or if you uh, want to inquire on <laughs> Bill's tattoo, yeah, we could possibly change into the Honda logo. If this video or if this recording gets a thousand listens and I'm at like yeah, one of those YouTube things, Bill changes out to the Honda. Might logo. still be alive yeah. and getting us to get revenge on Dave. Uh. <laughs> but once again, this is Rage Against the Mainstream signing off for the evening. As always, I'm Bill. I'm Connor. I'm Steve. Have a good night, guys. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.